Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this privilege and opportunity. And we ask that you help us never take this for granted, as it's a grace gift to gather together as your children, to hear your word, your personal message for us. From eternity past, you had this night planned. And we ask that your Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and teach each of us what we need to hear and be convicted of. And most of all, Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man, to fully and truly take our place on the cross so that our sins have been removed from us. And we thank you for Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, which proves his victory over sin and death. Help us rejoice in this always, Father, and bless this message. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Gospel, Salvation and Sanctification, Part 64. I hope you've been enjoying this series. There really has been a a whole lot of things the Spirit has shown me even um, over the last few months um, as kind of just re-teaching us, uh, shifting our perspective to show us what we've been missing out on. Uh, Many of us uh, for years maybe uh, needed to have something rounded out in our souls, which I know it's done for me. So we've been talking about supernatural things, and that's what sanctification is. And sometimes when we make sanctification academic, uh, we forget that it is totally and, and needs to be totally a work of God in us, something supernatural, that all we can do is accept by faith. You know, when something's supernatural, that means you don't have the power over that. You don't have control. So that requires a surrender, and that's what true faith is. It's a surrender, both at salvation and then, and then onward if we're going to grow and have God do things in us and take us places. It has to be a surrendering faith, admitting that we're nothing in ourselves and we can't sanctify ourselves. And that's what allows God to uh, produce supernatural things in our lives. So our role is faith, which is a gift from God anyways. So when we receive his gifts, including faith, he takes us all the way home. That's what the scripture says. And that's what sanctification is, a supernatural event, an ongoing event in our lives until, you know, we're absent from the body and face to face with the Lord. But it is a supernatural event. And we must never lose sight of that. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read this passage again that we've been to, but I want to focus on the supernatural aspects of it. In other words, the things you can't put a finger on, the things you can't fully define or figure out. That's what I want you to look for as we read Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. Can you really describe what it means to have the power of the Spirit in your inner man? Can you describe what your inner man really is? And then it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How do you put, put a finger on that thing? And, and it's, it's dangerous when we try to put a finger on that thing, I think, and we become academic about it and come up with definitions when this is a totally supernatural event that is only accepted by faith. It's only realized by faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. How do you comprehend this? How do you comprehend the love of God? Well, as it says in the next part of the verse, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Notice the word know and the word knowledge. Don't you have to have knowledge to know something? But this says we can know something that goes beyond knowledge. So we have to, again, not put God in a box at all and realize this is totally a supernatural thing and we can only receive it and see these supernatural things by faith. It's all God accepts from us, and it's our only part in the equation. So to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So first of all, we've seen on the board, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Christ's love is far beyond human intellect, far beyond human reason or thinking. It surpasses knowledge. And that's the Greek word hyperbalo. It means to transcend. It like, even describing the word transcend, you can't define in, in its actual experience in your life. It goes way above knowledge, where you're able to look down and see the whole picture, right? And that's what this love of Christ does. His love transcends knowledge or rises above knowledge. Now, we have to have that baseline of knowledge. We have to learn the Word of God. We have to see what it says and, and, and be willing to accept it by faith, right? But then it's up to God to show us what it means. And that's the difference between the academic scholar and the faithful Christian, let's say, or the follower of Christ. That's the difference. Whose ability are you relying on to figure this thing out? So it's a supernatural understanding given to his followers that are humble and who really want to know the fullness of him. But see, God doesn't give away his secrets and his treasures to those that don't really want it, right? And God looks at the heart. So he's like, why are you here? Are you playing the game? Are you, are you here to do your duty and learn my word and maybe feel smarter or look smarter or act smarter? Or are you here to really want to get to know me. And it's only that person with that humble attitude of surrender that's going to receive the secret things of God in his experience and in his soul, where he can have his supernatural peace. We saw the word rooted in the Greek in this verse, where it says to be rooted and grounded in love. And rooted is the Greek word herizoo. You try to pronounce that one. Herizoo. It means to take root, to plant, 
to firmly establish, to cause a person to be thoroughly grounded. So, you know, go, go in your yard one day and find a small tree. All right, don't find a weed or something and be smart. Find a small tree, even with a thin, ba- a thin trunk, and try to pull it out of the ground. And you tell me how far you get. The roots on even such a small, fragile-looking tree are so embedded in the ground that it can't be moved. And that's what God's talking about here with this unique word, rooted. He wants us to be rooted in his love, so much so that we can't be moved by the things of the world. We won't be bothered by the things of the world. Even in the middle of the situation, I was talking to a friend about this today, and he's talking about difficulties at work. You know, and having the ability to stay composed and not get stressed. And I was trying to explain this, this principle that you actually can come to a point, and it takes time and it takes faith, but you can come to a point where you are at peace in the middle of the chaos. And it's a supernatural thing. It, it, you can't describe it. And you can't um, earn it or, or force it by your own will. But he wants to give it to you. But it takes being rooted and grounded in his love. How do we do that? By faith. Only by that surrender, surrendering type of faith. So you can be rooted in his love so much that you're not moved by the things in the world like other people are. And that's when people start to ask you, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why are you so relaxed? You should be upset right now. Get upset with me. And you have the ability to say, I'm sorry, I'm just not. I mean, in the big picture... This isn't that important, and Christ is in control. At least that's how you're thinking. And that's where our Lord wants us to go, by faith. As Pastor said the last couple lessons, he's trying to take us to love. He's trying to take us, and sometimes we're we're clawing, aren't we? Because we don't want to go because we lose control. But he's trying to take us to this place called love, where we can have his supernatural peace. And he's trying to have us be grounded, that Greek word for grounded, themelioo, means to lay a foundation of, to found, metaphorically to make stable or establish. So he hopes that we'll be rooted and grounded in his love. And love is the foundation of our spiritual lives, if we haven't gotten that point understood yet. He wants us to have total stability in our souls, in the devil's world. But that's impossible unless we're rooted and grounded in his love. Love is the stability. Right? When you know you're loved by someone, let, let's say it's a parent or whoever it is, you have no fear, right? Because you know they're there for you. You know in your worst times they're there for you. What is that? That's stability that comes from love. How much more so from our perfect Heavenly Father? If we believe, how much more can we have that perfect stability that he wants us to have. And then we saw how uh, this verse talks about being filled up to the fullness of God. What the heck does that mean? Again, this is a supernatural thing. You can't define this even in your own best intellect. Filled up to the fullness of God. And we saw how in the same book in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, we see this phrase, In Ephesians 4, we see the fullness of Christ mentioned. In Ephesians 5, we see the fullness or the filling of the Spirit. And it's showing us 
the fullness of God as a whole now, really, if you think about it, right? The Trinity, the whole Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they all live inside of you, as different scriptures reveal to us. So this is the intimacy and the fullness that he wants us to have. The Trinity may best be described as three persons in one, but even that is a supernatural phenomenon that we can't describe or comprehend in human terms. How is he three persons and one person? Will you tell me that, right? And that's okay that you can't figure that out. That's actually good that you can't figure that out because you're saying God is unique. God is beyond my realm of comprehension. But this is what he is. He's three in one. And, and that deep level of intimacy, to try to picture three people as one person, right? <laughs> How do you define that? How do you um, grasp that? You can't, and that's good. But here's another view of the Trinity on the board, that God wants us to be involved in him in every way, and every part of him in us. So, for example, on the board, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God in the Bible. So which one is it? I thought the Holy Spirit was a distinct person from the Father and the Son. Well, he is. So why is he called the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God? It's the same God. They're one and the same God of all creation. And they're all involved in every aspect of uh, accomplishment in the plan of God. When you look at all the different things that God's done for us, raising Christ from the dead, you find scriptures where all three members of the Trinity partook in that thing. And you see the filling of the Spirit, the, fill, the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ. So there's a level of intimacy that goes beyond intellect, and we shouldn't try to uh, calculate. We should just believe. And with that kind of faith, he's going to show us a lot of things. So God wants us to be full of all his fullness. And that includes the indescribable love and intimacy of the Trinity. Three persons in one. You consider the sexual union between a husband and a wife, right? Two people become one. And that's only in the, in the human realm, right? But there's a supernatural thing that goes on there that takes place. So how much more is God so intimately connected as three in one? It's beyond our rationalization. Again, we saw this this past week, J. Vernon McGee on the fullness of God. He said, Christ was thus filled in proportion to our comprehension of the love of Christ. We shall be filled with all the fullness of God. These two things are directly correlated. You cannot be filled with this supernatural fullness and have his peace without understanding and comprehending his love. And again, that's a supernatural thing. But how do we quantify this? How do we fathom fully the love of Christ? First of all, let's remember that with God, all things are possible. So some of you are thinking, oh, I'll never get there. I can't, I, I just can't get there. I keep trying. I get a brain cramp. I can't figure out God's love. Again, that's a good thing. Because you're relying at that point on self-sanctification. You're trying to figure out God's love on your, on your own. When it's a futile attempt. But with God, all things are possible. And what does that relate to? 
in our lives that relates to faith. Again, the righteous man will live by faith. When we live by faith, God's free to reveal things to us like his love in fullness. So self-sanctification is something we have to stop doing. Only by relying on the power and working of God in our souls will we see the fullness of God in our lives. There's no other possible way by human comprehension. So what does it take to receive such a vision of his love, let's call it, such a comprehension of his love? It takes complete and total surrender. Faith. True faith is a surrender. It's a giving up in total recognition of our own inability to be spiritual. Total recognition of our own inability to figure God out. I don't know about you, but for years I was trying to self-sanctify. I was trying to, whatever, grow, grow spiritually on my own, if that makes any sense. Right? Could you think your knowledge... Um, in the Word of God, <clears throat> qualifies you or puts you at a certain place spiritually when it's really the furthest thing from the truth because until you apply those principles by faith and trust Him and surrender, He can't reveal what these things mean. He just can't. So, again, we're talking about faith being a complete and total surrender and only then can He give us the vision of His love, the fullness of His love the fullness of God. And that's where we have stability. That's where we have roots in the ground where we can't be shaken, even by the devil himself, honestly, once you're at that point of maturity. Because <laughs> you're overwhelmed with his love. Some of the people I know that have the greatest faith are the people that realize his love the most, that are basking in and enjoying his love. They're not doubting it. They're not questioning it. They're not overanalyzing it. They are just saying, I can't believe you know, what God's done for me and how much he loves me. And that's their daily attitude, which is living in the gospel reality, right? Living in that salvation that he purchased for you because of his love. And those are the people that are happiest. And yet it's the simplest kind of faith. It's uh, interesting how it's against our own thoughts. So we've also been seeing practical sanctification lately. And I love this term because, I mean, what's more important than this, right? Have it, having it being practical to our lives. If you're being encouraged daily, then you're being sanctified daily, experientially in your life. And then pastor taught us to consider the flip side of this. If you're discouraged, something's wrong in your soul. God will never discourage a person doing good. So something's awry when we're discouraged. And we all get discouraged. You can, you know, try every day's not going to be a good day in the spiritual life because you're still in this body, you're in the flesh, you're going to be tempted, you're going to be tested by different things and people. So forget being perfect. But it, so in those moments that you're discouraged or you're weary, check out what might be wrong in your soul, what might be going on in your soul. We can be encouraged anytime we want to, however, when we live in that gospel reality, when we change our perspective, right? It just takes turning around in our soul. 
So we can turn around anytime we want from being discouraged to be encouraged by living in the gospel reality. If we're living in the gospel reality, we're enjoying the truth of our position in Christ. Right? It's really that simple. We're enjoying the truth of our position in Christ. We're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's done. I'm already saved. I'm already risen from the dead according to him because I trusted in him. That's right. That's where I belong and that's where I am. And that switch in perspective should greatly encourage us. And it's not about us. It's about what we already possess through him as a gift. So that actually is and becomes our sanctification. That's what I've been seeing. It's so simple. When we live in the gospel reality, we're living in our position in Christ, right? That's when we'll be greatly encouraged. That's when we are being sanctified. That is our sanctification. Living in that type of position and that love of Christ. That's it. And it exponentially gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater in your life. In other words, more of the 24 hours in your day are going to be a sanctified lifestyle, encouraged instead of discouraged. That's going to be the trend, right? So it'll it'll always increase. It'll never stop, and you'll never reach that point in this life. But that's where he's got us going. That is our sanctification, living in the love of Christ. It's so simple. But it takes childlike faith, which for some reason we as adults can't go back and grab very easily. But it's the faith of a child who trusts their parent. Says, ah, he's already taking care of everything. Let's go play. Right? That should be our daily attitude. Do we have to work? Yes. Can we have that attitude while at work? Yes. Our life isn't cordoned off, as Pastor's been telling us, right? It's not this part of my life, work, play, social, you know, whatever. Life is life. The spiritual life is meant to be lived through all these different parts of life. That is your real life. And that is being sanctified. So we're talking about something as simple as being thankful and appreciative. That when, you, when you're being thankful, you're living in the love of Christ right then. You're recognizing what he's done for you, right? And we love him because he first loved us, right? So you be thankful. You're, you're loving him back by being thankful. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Let's see this verse again. And it's another way that it puts the sanctified life, really. It is not complicated. Colossians 3.14 Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We've just been talking about the Trinity, huh? And interesting that it says that. Love is the perfect bond of unity, oneness. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving 
thanks through him to God the Father. Three times we see the concept of being thankful. And this is when the peace of God, uh, peace of Christ rules in your heart. This is when love is, is, is uh, put on and you have that perfect bond of unity. And the, you're living that out in thankfulness from the heart. You're being sanctified that way. And how do we live in this thankfulness? We go back to verses 1 through 3, which we're not going to read right now, but it basically says, set your mind on the things above, where Christ is. Keep focused on the truth and where you're headed and where he is. And then God does all this work in you because your eyes are on the right thing. We noted in verse 16 this phrase for richly dwell on the board in the Greek, plusias enoikeo. It means to extravagantly or abundantly live in or be at home. To abundantly be at home, to extravagantly be at home. And that's what where God wants his word to be in us. That type of abundant peace. That abundant um, position, comfort, being, being in, the, in the comfortable place in your soul. Like, uh, it's hard to describe, right? It's supernatural. But we're not talking about trying to fit God's word in to your soul. We're talking about it being so comfortable in your soul that it is you, it is part of you, it is you. That's this extravagant living at home idea of the word in our soul. And it parallels to being filled up to all the fullness of God, which we saw in Ephesians 3.19, and the filling of the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. It's that type of fullness, in other words, that type of being at home. Like, (laughs) try to think right now of one person whose home you can go into and be totally 100% relaxed. Hopefully, you already have that in your own home, I hope. If you don't, if you forget that. Think of another person. Can you think of one person where you can go in the house and you can just sprawl out on the couch and you don't care, they don't care, you're totally at home. That's God's word in your soul. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's what it means when he says richly dwell. We're talking about, on the board, the Holy Scripture having its rightful place of dominating presence in your soul. Its rightful place. We're the ones that kick it out. We're the ones that, you know, try to have our own time without His Word. When this is the type of level that He wants His Scriptures to be at home in our hearts. And it's then that the Spirit can fill us with all the fullness of God. Because don't forget, those who worship God, as Jesus said, they have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And even these two things arguably are one. So, when the Word's at home in your soul, the Spirit's at home in your soul. The Spirit can be, show you His fullness only when the Word's totally at home in your soul. You see? Otherwise, He doesn't have that Material, as Pastor might say, or that 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 uh, content to tell you who he is fully. So again, we're talking about supernatural things. Our attitude towards the word should be this on the board, 
and, and this should be our great desire to get to a place or a point where, where God's Word richly dwells in our soul, extravagantly, at home, at rest in our hearts. And it's then that we can live in His peace. It's then that we can be thankful and live the sanctified life as He desires us to. Totally basking in His love, if you will. And again, it's not some emotional, romantic love we're talking about. We're talking about, maybe if you want to think of a fatherly type of love, a motherly type of love. We're talking about a love that is always present and you can rely on, and you just have no, no fears anymore. That's where he's taken us. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. And I believe we went to this whole passage a couple weeks ago. But I want to read this again because of the picture it paints compared to what we just read in Colossians 3, for example. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Simple, right? That's, that's God's will for us right there. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a sanctified life. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. This is Paul's prayer. May God, the God of peace, that, the God who wants you to relax and be at peace and bask in his love, may that God sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Again, our only part is faith. He will do it. He will root us and ground us in love when we have that surrendering faith. He will do it. But there's a great picture in that verse of sanctification. A good description. God is setting us apart more and more for himself when we live by faith in the gospel reality. That's our only job. The righteous man shall live by faith. Abraham did all these great works. How did Abraham do all these great works? By faith. Read Hebrews 11, right? By faith. Abraham did this. Abraham did that. So even the works aren't of our own doing. Because we have faith first, God blazes a path before us of good works to walk in, as in Ephesians 2.10. Right? It's only faith. And faith alone gives us the doorway into his uh, secrets and his power and the fullness of his love. Go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. So as God separates us from the world, as he, as he sanctifies us, he also tells us not to become weary in doing good, Right? And he says, don't lose heart. I know it's tough some days. I know you're in the devil's world, but don't lose heart. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm supplying your strength. And this passage to me is always a great reminder of that. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 9. But beloved, 
believers, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. Huh. Isn't that what sanctification is? Sanctification is not separate from salvation. It's one thing. And he says, I'm convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, that come with salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God is faithful. You see, God is the one who will complete the work, right? You just keep following. You just keep following. Stop doubting. Stop worrying about why you don't understand things. Stop stressing. Stop saying you need to know why, God. I need to know why. Dumb. That's dumb human rationale. Operate by faith and say, I'm just going to keep following you, Lord. Who else has the words of eternal life? Just don't quit. Keep following him by faith and he'll light the path. And in your darkest moments, they'll be in your best moments. If you go by faith. So on the board, we also saw regarding practical sanctification. If you're feeling discouraged, remember that said discouragement is a result of your own human plans being smashed by the sovereign God. He's doing you a favor by revealing to you how discouragement is at the core of the flesh. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier. He's trying to take us out of the way. He's trying to help us get out of our own way, right? And on the board, when we are disheartened or discouraged, and we will be, it's usually due to our own lack of faith in him and his plan and our own clinging or our own clinging to our own plan in some way. So when we are discouraged, we need to take a look around at our lives. In other words, when you realize you're discouraged, stop for a minute and seriously, just look around at your life and say, what am I doing right now? Why am I discouraged right now? And that's where, where you'll admit, hopefully, the source of it, and you can be set free. The sooner we realize that and turn around and surrender that part of our life to God, the sooner we'll be encouraged and sanctified. Again, there's that perspective shift, but it takes you to stop for a moment, right? To look around, to be humble and admit where you might be wrong. You might be clinging to some idol. You might be clinging to something you don't want to give up yet. But that's why your heart's discouraged. So give it up, right? We think we need it. It makes us happy. Drop it, and then you'll lose the discouragement. And you'll be encouraged as soon as you surrender. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a simple thing. And we saw that courage is faith applied. That's all courage really is. It's living in the faith that you claim to have. Courage is really just another word for faith. 
but it's faith applied or in action. Therefore, to be encouraged means to inspire one's faith in the direction of doing righteously. Think about that. And we also know that faith comes from the word of God imparted to our souls. The Holy Spirit will convict you of the authenticity of the word so it will wash away any doubts you're holding on to. The faithful ones are the courageous ones. The ones that live by faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. That's the courageous one. It's the same thing. It's really simple. And something God loves, and this is what I want to get into a little bit here before we close. Something God loves is a persevering faith. And that we might call that a courageous faith, but God loves when he sees his children persevere, even though they don't see what's going on. And there's no rational explanation for the suffering, for example. And we're going to see this in James chapters 1 and 5. Pastor said on Sunday, perseverance in the face of adversity is courage. Perseverance in the face of adversity, that's courage or faith applied. So as we each travel our own individual roads of sanctification, right? Because we're individually being sanctified. We're individually living our own lives out there. And not one of ours is exactly like the others. But as we go down that individual road of sanctification, and yet we still cling to the body of Christ, right here at our home base, and with one another's support and love, as we do that thing, we all have one thing in common. And that is the need for persevering faith. The one thing God asks of every one of us, even though it will be applied differently a little bit in every life, is a persevering faith. So whatever your calling, whatever your areas of testing and suffering are, the Lord asks us to persevere, to not quit, to just follow him. That's all he's saying. Just follow me. Just keep following me. That's what Abraham did. And his works were so great because he had persevering faith. That's it. Faith produces the works. But you have to persevere. You have to be willing to trust him without seeing. And don't forget the Lord doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Just think of the cross. Just think of the cross. He's done it all. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So our Heavenly Father loves when He sees perseverance in His children. And don't forget, He knows our limits. He's not going to push you beyond what you can bear, even though you think you're going through something you can't bear. You can. You're stronger than you think, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. So trust Him. On the board, he knows individually what we can each bear. Listen, what I, what I can bear is totally different than what you can bear. And I don't mean in a greater, greater versus lesser. I mean different things. There's certain things I couldn't handle that you are like, ah, are you serious? That's easy. And vice versa. So God intimately knows each of our hearts. He doesn't test us beyond what we can bear. 
He gives us the strength in the situation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us of that. And he knows when we are persevering by faith. And he loves it. As a father watches his child grow up and, you know, believe what he said is true, God loves it when we persevere by that faith. And he knows when we're doing it. Trusting him for completing our own sanctifications or even purifications. Are there any of us in this room that have no dirt or impurities to be purified from? You'd be pretty arrogant to say you do or you don't. We all have filth in our bodies and our souls that we don't even know of that God is trying to burn off. Okay? And that's where we're talking about purifications. Sanctification is God purifying us, setting us apart for himself. But to do that, he's got work in us, he's doing, to uh, burn off, so to speak, those impurifications. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's just take a little look at this principle. We need to be purified in ways we don't even see. And that's the whole point of faith, isn't it? If you could see it, you wouldn't need faith. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, oxymoron, I don't know. We, we, we want to see it, and we complain to God, but why don't you show me why I'm going through this? Duh. Because <laughs> then you wouldn't need to apply faith. And I want you to apply faith. I want you to trust me when you don't see it. So I'm not going to show it to you so you have it all figured out and know it. I want you to go through it knowing I'm doing something good in you, even though it hurts. Knowing I'm bringing you to love. I'm bringing you there. I just need your faith. I just need you to persevere. And in 1 Peter 1, I need you to realize that I'm purifying you from some things. Look at verse 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a need to be tested by fire even have our works tested by fire, testing our motivations, testing our heart and our emotions. And God does this because he's refining us. He's not angry with us. He's not getting back at us. He's not even disciplining us many times. He's saying, I'm trying to purify your motivations. Okay, just think of that concept. How hard is it to have 100% pure motivation in things we do? 100%. No ulterior motives. Pretty hard, right? Pretty difficult. But if God tests us by fire, he burns off those things we're holding on to, those ulterior motives we're holding on to, and he's saying, I'm going I'm to get you to a point where your motivation is pure love for my son. And it's going to take you a while because you've got a lot of dirt in your soul. But I'm going to get you to this point. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. But you've got to trust me. And it's going to hurt. But I'm doing something good in you. I'm sanctifying you. I'm purifying you. Look at verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth 
purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. There we see love again twice. But where does that come from? Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, then you'll be able to love. See? Now, is that word purified, right? Are we always obedient to the truth? So, since we aren't always obedient to the truth, which if we were just obedient to the truth, we'd be purified. But in the areas of our lives where we're not obedient to the truth, he has to do something for us. He has to purify us. And that's where suffering and testing pick up where obedience leaves off. And you may not even know what the dirt is he's removing, but it's there, safe to say. And he's, you just got to trust him, let him do his thing. So sanctification is also growing in respect to our salvation. You see? See, at salvation, we were purified like that, right? When you trusted in Christ, you accepted everything he did at the cross. You defeated sin and death because he defeated sin and death. So that's, that's in your position. You're already, you're already purified. But now in your experience, he's purifying you. He's saying, I'm going to show you what it's like to live in it and experience it and bring me glory in front of the angels. So sanctification is growing in respect to our salvation. And we see that again in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Huh. Sounds like sanctification to me. Salvation and sanctification are one, really. It's a continuance. And you can see we have a lot of growth to do in respect to our salvation, even though we're already purified, even though we're already with Christ in heavenly places. He's doing something good in us. And growing requires growth pains. We all want to grow, right? We all want to see things clearly. We want to understand his love, right? Comprehend his love, the fullness of Christ, whatever that means. But we don't want to grow. We don't want to take the steps, right? Growing involves growth pains. But after the pains, we're happier for it. We see the growth. We see the peace. We see a little bit more of his love, and it's all worth it. I mean, I don't know about you, but the thing that ultimately, that I guess, really motivates me somewhat is being able to reach that point where I'm so secure in his love that I'm so rooted in his love that nothing bothers me. I mean, isn't that, what, isn't that like perfect happiness? Isn't that peace that goes beyond human comprehension? To have his love so ingrained in your being that nothing bothers you. And you can literally say, I really don't care. I'm not talking about being irresponsible or crude or whatever. Saying, I really, I don't care what happens to me. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know? And you can't fake that. <laughs> we all want that way of thinking, but we, when we're under pressure, huh, we're the opposite sometimes, right? But that's where we want to be, and that's where he's taken us. He's taken us to love. But it requires surrendering and persevering in the faith. 
So speaking of that, we'll probably read a couple passages here in James before we close. Go to James chapter 1. I only got 10 minutes left, and I'm only halfway through my notes. Can't believe it. But it's all good. And hopefully the Spirit's just getting his message across. You know, what's the point? What's the point the Spirit's making? That's what you should be asking yourselves. So look at James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that sound like? Sanctification? Being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? That's where he's taking us. But it requires what? Endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. And let that, that endurance, that perseverance, have its perfect result in you. So you're sanctified. It takes faith. It takes surrendering faith one day at a time. In verse 5, we see a different perspective of the same persevering kind of faith. Look at verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that's, that takes perseverance to ask God for wisdom every day. That takes perseverance. That takes faith. And in verse 6, you must ask in faith without doubting, and then he can release the floodgates, open the floodgates. Look at verse 9. How is this for persevering faith? But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Let me tell you something. That high position is not a high position on earth. The, the brother of humble circumstances, all I can picture is a man in Jesus' day that was really poor, like living on the street, like a man with nothing. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. That takes faith. That takes faith that... God has taken me in. God has promoted me. And because I'm living for him and not for the world, that's why I'm in this humble position. But I know he rewards those that are faithful. So that takes persevering faith to glory in your high position. How many times have you given up something in this world that you could have had because you knew it compromised the word or you knew it was against God in some way? And here you are now in a humbler position in your circumstances than you could have been. Right? We could all think of something related to that. And that is where you should glory in your high position. You should be like, God recognized that. Hebrews chapter 6 we just read, God doesn't remember the work that I did for his name. And because he knows my motivation, he knows my heart, he knows I denied that thing I could have had because I knew it was against him in some way. He's pretty happy. He's a happy dad right there. And he's going to reward us. So by faith, we glory in our high position now, even though we have less in our circumstances. But the rich man, in verse 10, he's to glory in his humiliation, 
because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That's faith. Blessed is the man who just keeps following him, even through the trials. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that is glorying in your high position right there. You picture the crown of life that God wants to give you because you've chosen to deny the things of the world and follow him. You've chosen to persevere under trial even when you don't deserve it. And even when the rich man might be abusing his authority or his position or his power to put you down. And yet you glory in that because of God's word, because of verse 12. So we're called to just keep following him. Keep your eyes on the cross. Don't look right, don't look left. And suffering and testing helps us do that, helps us have this persevering faith that brings him all this great glory. Here's a quote from uh, Pastor Greg Lowry. He said, suffering helps us grow spiritually and makes us stronger in the faith. It takes our faith from the realm of theory to reality so we can start living out our faith in the real world. I like that statement. It takes our faith from the realm of theory to reality. Listen, while you're sitting on the couch, it's pretty easy to have strong faith. When nobody's bothering you, you know, you're rich, quote-unquote, you're comfortable. I used to think I had strong faith. (laughs) I laugh. Everything was going good in my life. Yeah, of course I had strong faith. And a mosquito bites you and you freak out, right? And you're like, wow, I lost that kind of quickly. Where was my faith? Was it real? Was it applied faith, which is courage, right? It wasn't. It was cushy faith. It was faith, faith not applied, faith not tested is not known to be what it really is yet, if that makes sense. You have to go through experiences to apply your faith. And God uses suffering to help us get to this point and ultimately to burn off the impurities and to bring us to love. But we can't have that pure, awesome, pure love relationship with him, that that pure um, living in the sphere of his love, let's say. Can't have it. Can't have it without going through things that burn off the garbage so that we can be free. Suffering makes you free. Want to close on that note? Suffering makes you free. Now, it may not be from A A to B. It may not be that simple. You may have to go A, B, C, D, E, and then to F, and then you're okay. Right? But suffering equals freedom. Change that perspective. Look at it that way. Because that's where he's taken us. But he can't take us there without it. So, just a little bit more in James, and then we'll close. Look at James 1.19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
right there is another form of persevering faith. Self-control. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to deliver your souls. There's more of that persevering faith. It takes faith to receive the word implanted in humility every day. It takes faith every day. You have to persevere in the faith to allow the word to be implanted in your soul so it becomes richly dwelling in your soul. Totally at home and relaxed on the couch of a friend that doesn't care how you look or sound or feel or smell or whatever. Totally at home. And that's where he's taken us. But it takes persevering faith. It takes, I'm going to keep following you no matter what. I don't care if I don't understand. I don't want to understand. I'm just going to keep following you because I know you're the truth. And I know you've already accomplished everything for me. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. There, in verse 25, is persevering faith. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. He has courage because he applies his faith. He goes forward in it, even though he cannot see, which again is the very definition of faith. So our last verse, look at James 5, verse 6. I'm skipping some verses, and you might, you might go home and read James 5, verses 1 through 11, if you want to, because it's talking about the rich man and abusing the poor man. And then in verse 6, he says, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. The rich man the one living for himself and all of his own riches, has condemned and put to death the righteous man, the one living by faith. And that righteous man does not even resist you. In other words, he leaves it in God's hands. He doesn't fight back in worldly methods. And he accepts what he may need to go through and need to bear for Christ's sake, just like Christ bore all this un- unjust treatment. So we have that opportunity. The righteous man perseveres in faith despite mistreatment and suffering in the world. The righteous man will live by faith. So we'll close there, but I encourage you to read the rest of uh, James chapter 5 and look for examples of persevering faith. And you'll see all the different forms of it. But that is what God loves as our Heavenly Father. What father doesn't love to see his son trusting him? even when he's going through things he doesn't understand. So there's our greatest opportunity. So with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you so much again for the privilege 
being able to learn your word and to understand it by your spirits filling us. Help us to be filled with both the word and the spirit. Help us to let them both be at home in our hearts, Father, through humility and through a surrendering faith that we know we need to have. Father, we ask that in accordance with that faith, you open our eyes and help us see and comprehend your love that goes beyond our comprehension. We know it's your work, Father, and not our own. We submit to your sanctification and purification. And we ask that you change us from the inside out. Please bless us as we go. Help us stay in your word, Father. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. The fullness of